During this season of Lent, the 40 days not including Sundays leading up till Easter, we're journeying through the book of Luke and we are looking at how Jesus, as portrayed by Luke, shows a special concern for the least, the last, and the lost, how he makes friends in low places, and how if we want to be his friend, that's the only place he meets us. He won't meet us high up on the mountaintop of our arrogance, but he'll meet us down low in the valley of our humility. So we're looking throughout the the book of Luke. Today we come to Luke chapter 7. And it's so important as we look at this to realize how much we put ourselves at risk when we allowed our pride to separate us from God. There's a story of a frog. And this frog was living in Minnesota. And it was getting cold in Minnesota as it does. The winter was coming and the frog decided I'd like to go south for the summer. I'd like somewhere or for the winter I'd like somewhere sunny and warm. And the frog noticed some geese preparing to fly south. So the frog went to talk to the geese and asked the geese to take him south with them. But the geese said, there's no way for us to take you. Uh, You'll slip off our backs and we have webbed feet and we could never grasp you in them while we fly. Well, the frog thought about his predicament and the frog came up with an ingenious idea. He asked the geese both to fly beside each other and to hold a stick in between them. The frog would then grasp the stick with his mouth and would be transported southward. They began the flight and everything was working wonderfully. They were flying over the great state of Indiana when a farmer looked up from his field and says, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. Look at those geese carrying that frog by that stick. Who came up with that idea? And the frog was so proud, he said, I did. And that was the end of the frog. (laughs) Yes. Now, a couple of you in about an hour, you're going to laugh. You're going to realize what happened to that frog. (laughs) That pride can get us in a lot of trouble. It can humiliate us. It can, in fact, threaten our lives. One time there was a large gathering of the leaders from a particular denomination. And at that time, the president of the United States belonged to that particular denomination. Now, I would tell you what that denomination was, and I'd tell you who that president was, except you judge, right? You judge by the denomination and who the president was. So I'm not going to tell you. But I would too. We've all been poisoned by partisanship. So we're just going to say there's a denomination and there's a a president. And they had made arrangements for the first lady of the United States to speak briefly at this denominational gathering. And they were so honored that the first lady was going to stop by and speak with them. However, she was traveling across the country that day and she only had a few hours. Her plane was going to land in the city where they were gathered. She'd be transported to the meeting. She would give a brief speech and then she would go right back to the plane. So it was important that when she arrived at the convention center that she was able to be ushered onto the stage to speak immediately. Well, as she arrived, there was a pastor giving a decent sermon uh, to, to the gathered crowd. And unbeknownst to him, the first lady of the United States appeared on stage behind him. And everybody started to clap. And they started to cheer. And he thought it was for him. 
And he began thanking everybody and he began praising God and then he was ushered off stage so she could speak. It reminds me of Jesus is saying uh, not to put yourself in the high places of honor or you may be removed from them. In those instances, it's funny. It can be quite tragic. Uh, I was talking to a church member recently and he told me of a pastor who gave the absolute best sermons you've ever heard. That they left you wanting to jump up and down and shout hallelujah. But when he went out to lunch with the pastor... All the pastor did was badmouth people. It was just a show. It was just a show. It was a, was a performance. Friends, if you hear nothing else today, I want you to know it's impossible to be full of God's love when you are full of yourself. It's impossible to be full of God's love when you're full. When you can't see past yourself to see God and see the people God's put in your life. Uh, some of you know I spent Monday through Wednesday of this week at a gathering of the senior pastors of the 100 largest United Methodist churches in, a, in our country. It took place in Scottsdale, Arizona. If you don't know that, it's because you don't read my Friday newsletter called In the Loop. And if you're paying attention to the announcements, you can sign up for that at concordunited.org slash events. And then if you will open the email, I can actually see that you opened the email. Now, I don't look, I don't have time to look through and see everyone who opens the email, or do I? <laughs> I, I guess you don't know. But it's a, in all honesty, it's a wonderful opportunity to take you behind the scenes of the church, let you know everything that, that's, that's going on, the lives that are being changed, the incredible ministries that take place, and the servants who, who make that happen. So I, I hope you will. But I shared this week uh, about this meeting and about being able to meet a man who gave a large gift to help make the meeting possible. His name was Jerry Stead, and he'd been the CEO of multiple companies in the Fortune 500, big names like AT&T and other kind of big fish. And we, he shared with us just very, very humbly about how he how he sought to make a difference. In retirement, he's taking it very easy. Uh, he's, uh, his wife told him he couldn't work anymore, so he told her he wanted to start businesses as a hobby. And he, start, he started businesses trying to cure ALS and Lou Gehrig's, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, uh, as well as Parkinson's. So uh, this, you know, really kind of lazy guy. Uh, but he, he talked with us for, for just a little while, and it touched me because of what he said. Uh, he said that you'll never do much as long as you're the main character in your own story. But that when you start waking up and asking yourself the question rather than how can I lift myself up today? When you begin asking yourself the question, how can I help great people do great things today? Suddenly, suddenly everything changes. That you don't have to be the main character in your own story. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Uh, you've taken psychology class and you've, you say, well, pastor, if I make someone else the main, main character in my story, then that's codependency. Yes, you're right. Unless that someone is Jesus because he's the one who's worthy of it. And he's the one who knows how your story was always meant to be written. So in this season of Lent, we want to jump into Jesus's story in hopes that he will become 
the main character in our story. Uh, we are reading, as you know, through the book of Luke. I hope you'll join us every day. ConcordUnited.org Bible is where you can find our Bible reading plan and daily devotions, or you can pick up a hard copy at the Information Center. Today, uh, we're going to Luke 7. And I want to set up just a little bit of the context of this because it's phenomenal when, when you know the context. We'll, we'll be reading a story of Jesus going to dinner uh, with a Pharisee and a sinful woman. But before that, the entirety of Luke 7 is about Jesus being a prophet, and in fact, even greater than a prophet. It compares him to other prophets, and he performs healings, and we see in each moment that he is greater than any prophet who has ever come before him. Uh, great, greater than Moses, uh, greater than Elijah, greater than King David, greater even than John the Baptist. This is what's taken place in Luke 7. And then there's a big formal dinner. And at, the, at a formal dinner today, you only get in the door if you have an invitation. But for, for formal dinners in those days, they were much more community events. So other people could be around and would be able to slip in and out. And even if you weren't invited, you could lean against the window and hear what was, was being said. And that begins to happen. And then someone unexpected approaches the guest of honor. So I, I want you to hear this. Uh, just hear this for this phenomenal story for yourself. Then we're going to talk about what it means. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Oh, if only this man was a prophet, he'd know that. Well, Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. If you're wondering how much denarii is, it's a lot. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered the house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Then he dropped the mic and walked out of the room. My goodness. There's so much in there we could spend all day 
we could spend all year just looking at what's, what's in that story. Let's go back and give you just a little more context. You're probably figuring out by now the arrogance of the Pharisee to jump in and correct Jesus, to say if only he was a prophet. When just two paragraphs before, three paragraphs before, everything he's been doing leading up to that time has shown he's greater than a prophet. But the Pharisee thinks if he was just a prophet, he'd, he'd know who this woman is. He, he knows who the woman is. And we, we, we know who the woman is. Most likely biblical scholars tell us she was a prostitute. Uh, the, this phrase, a sinful woman, is often uh, what's uh, referred to with, with, with that phrase. Uh, per, perhaps it was something else. Uh, regardless, it was something uh, public and notorious that she was known for, at least known for uh, earlier in her life. And she has found something in Jesus. She has already found uh, forgiveness in him. And so she comes and as she comes to Jesus, she treats him in a way that the Pharisee does not. She honors him. It was tradition in that day that when a guest came into your home, you anointed them with oil. He didn't do that, but she did. He was placing himself above Jesus. It was tradition that you at least sent a servant to wash your guest's feet but the Pharisee didn't do that. The Pharisee was placing himself above Jesus. It was tradition that you greeted one another with an embrace, but the Pharisee didn't do that. And all these things she has done. So as we look at what she's done here, and we look at how the Pharisee lifted himself up and should have known of all people, he should have been able to understand who Jesus was. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at three differences between this woman and the Pharisee. Just three differences between them. And we're going to ask ourselves, how can we be more like her and less like him? Because you see, there's a way of life where we live life under pressure and stress and where life's never good enough and we always have to worry about tomorrow. And the Pharisee's living like that. And then there's a way of life that's full of joy and love and courage. And amazingly, this woman lives with love and joy and courage. We're going to seek to, to find out why, find out how. Even though she was despised, even though she was looked down upon, she's found this way of life with love and joy and courage. And it's one that we want to find as well. So to begin with what we see is that the Pharisee seeks to honor himself. The woman seeks to honor Jesus. The Pharisee comes in and he wants everybody to see how great he is because he threw the party that Jesus came to. That he wants everyone to see how great he is because he's able to go up and correct Jesus. He's able to see, you don't know who this woman is. You don't know what she's done. Jesus knows what she's done. But is, and isn't it interesting with what she's done that we always condemn those uh, in that profession uh, if you understand supply and demand economics uh, who produce the supply, but we rarely condemn those who create the demand. And Jesus recognizes all that's gone on and he forgives. And the woman comes to honor him. Friends, if you want to live with the pressure off don't seek your own honor. Don't seek credit uh, for everything, but seek to honor others. 
Seek to, seek to honor God. One of the amazing things I get to do each week is I simply get to walk around the church and observe what goes on. And this is the first church I've been at with so many ministries that there's no way I could be closely involved in even half of them. I can observe them. I can know the leaders who lead them, uh, but there just aren't enough hours in the day. And it amazes me when I go to our ministries and I, I go to our leaders and I simply thank them. And I tell them how thankful we are for what they do. 99 times out of 100, do you know what they do? They tell me how great the people are who serve in their ministry. They tell me how lucky they are to have folks like that. They don't bask in the, the compliment. They want to share it. And they want me, they genuinely want me to know that it's not just them. It's all these other people working with them who make it happen. When you don't have to get the credit all the time, life, get, life gets so much better. There's so much less pressure. And you can actually focus on what's right and what's wrong and what's, what needs to happen. The Pharisee seeks honor for himself. The woman seeks to honor Jesus. Uh, what if your life wasn't about just what people thought of you? What if your life was about honoring Jesus and that was where you found your fulfillment and you found your reward? How different a perspective would, would that be for you? I know we'd all say that. I know every one of us in this room would say, well, of course that's how I feel. Or at least it's how we think when we're in church. But I want to ask you to ask yourself, is it how you actually live? Is it how you actually feel and think when you go through your daily life? Because I know for me, there's this sin of pride and it constantly seeks to pull us away. It constantly seeks to get us to lift up ourselves and to find our identity in how good we are and in what other people say about us. And I know that's a dead end trap. We know it's a dead end trap. It's not a coincidence uh, that rates of depression skyrocket among those who use social media for more than an hour a day. Why is that? Because it makes life all about what people say about you, about how well you stack up to the uh, beautifully filtered pictures everyone else puts up on social media. Do you live as if you're trying to give all the honor and credit to Jesus like this woman? Second, the Pharisee wants to condemn another person. The woman wants forgiveness for herself. Do we walk through life primarily seeking our own forgiveness? Uh, or do we walk through life uh, wanting to condemn others? Wanting to find our value, our self-worth in the fact that we are so much better than, than others. Uh, we, we've, all, we've all been there, right? Every one of us, we've been there. We've had those moments where we've thought something about another person and then we've realized that we're the exact same. That is the pot calling the kettle black. The woman lives a life of freedom and courage because it's about finding forgiveness for herself and it's about being thankful for that forgiveness. When you live like that, it takes the pressure off because you don't have to be perfect anymore. And you don't even have to be better than others anymore. You just have to ask God to forgive you. And you have to find your worth in that forgiveness and in God's message for you. And then finally, the Pharisee thinks life owes him something. 
the woman realizes God has given her everything. Isn't it interesting that the Pharisee, by external measures, he has everything. He's got a big enough home to invite the guest of honor in his town to come to a big feast. He's got the resources to prepare the feast. And this wasn't like a dinner just between him and Jesus. This was a large dinner with the other community leaders present. In, in our dollars today, this would have cost thousands and thousands of dollars to, to put this on. He has that. People in his community honor him. He's one of the religious leaders, one of the respected elders of the town. And yet he thinks life owes him something. He thinks everyone should look up to him. He thinks everyone should honor him. He even thinks Jesus uh, should listen to him and, and receive his correction. And then you have this woman, this woman who seemingly has nothing, who's disgraced among her people, and yet she realizes God has given her everything, that everything she could possibly need, God has already given her the pressure's off for her. When you realize that in God's forgiveness, in the presence of the Holy Spirit that, that God gives to you to guide you and to lead you, in God's promise that he will never leave you or forsake you, in God's promise that neither life nor death nor anything in heaven nor anything on earth nor powers nor principalities can separate you from the, God's love through Jesus Christ. In those you have everything you'll ever need to be happy and whole that has already been given to each one of you. It's like a present at Christmas. And if you haven't received it yet, it's not because God hasn't given it yet. It's because you haven't opened it yet. I, you might think of it like a bicycle given to a toddler at Christmas. If you take a big bicycle and you give it to a two-year-old, you wrap it up, you put it under the Christmas tree. That two-year-old can unwrap that bicycle. That two-year-old can't ride it yet. But that two-year-old has a bike. And there'll be a day when that two-year-old grows old enough to ride it. That's how it is with God. Everything you could ever need to be happy or whole, God has already given you. Have you received it? Have you unwrapped it? Have, have you learned to write it? And I know right now there are some of you who are sitting there and uh, inter externally you're trying to keep a good face on because you're in church and you'll get fussed at by your spouse if you have a sour face in church. Uh, but internally, uh, you're irritated. You say, what right does that man have to say that to me? He doesn't know what I've been through. He doesn't know what people have done to me. He doesn't know the pressures I face. He doesn't know everything I have to get done every day before the sun sets. He doesn't know how people treat me. No, I don't, but I know how Jesus loves you. I know how Jesus loves you. And I know that this book tells stories of people who had it harder than you. And how they found that everything they could ever need was given to them by God. And I know the stories in this room. And I know people in this room who have faced serious illness. And I know people in this room who have buried loved ones. And I know people in this room who have had uh, tragedies uh, and lost their financial resources and their businesses. And I know those same people in this room who have found out in each of those circumstances that God has not left them, that God has been with them, and that they still have everything they need. They still have everything they need to have joy, they still have everything they need to, to have peace. Uh, 
They still have everything they need to love one another because they still have God. Do you believe that? Not do you intellectually believe that, but do you believe that? Do you know that? Because God's inviting you to know that today. God's telling you that it's better to be a former prostitute than a Pharisee. That there's more peace and more joy and more love and more courage there. And we walk through our lives so much of the time trying to lift ourselves up. Trying to say, look at me. And when we do that, we turn away from that beautiful bicycle under the Christmas tree that we were always designed to ride, that was designed to bring us joy, these incredible gifts, that before you could ever do anything to earn it, Christ came from heaven to earth from you, for you. And before you could even take a breath, he breathed his last breath on the cross for you. All that, all that for you. As Wesley sang, he walked this lonesome valley. He walked it by himself so you wouldn't have to. If you've been walking it by yourself, for yourself, we're going to say a prayer. And I'm going to invite you not to live that way anymore because there's a better way. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we come to you today and we ask you to forgive us for the times when we have sought the credit and the honor for ourselves, for the times when we have lifted ourselves up by condemning others, from the times we have allowed resentment and anger to build because we thought life was withholding something it owed us. When we look at you, we recognize we've already been given a gift greater than anything for which we could ask or anything we could imagine. Teach us to honor you. Teach us to seek not to condemn, but to find forgiveness for ourselves. Teach us to celebrate all the many gifts you bestow upon us and to lift up your name, to allow you to be the main character of our story. Not that others might say good things about us, but when, that when they see us, somehow, someway, they might also see the God who loved enough to come to his people and give his life for them. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.